Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Blessed is the reading of God's holy word through his apostle. Father, we thank you for your ways. We thank you for the renewing of our minds that we be not conformed to this world. But that we be transformed by the gospel. By your word. By your purposes. By your ways. So help us be those now. Who put away all distractions. And by the moving of your Holy Spirit. Help our minds focus. On the text and texts. Before us this morning. That we may see. And understand what you have revealed to us. So therefore, as a teacher, to that end, help me. Through and in and because of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, this is the second week on gender roles in marriage that Paul is laying out here in Ephesians chapter 5. Last week, he simply concentrated on the text. We saw in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then... Paul unfolds the reason he would say such a thing in the next verse. For, or in other words, here's the reason why. Because the husband is the head of the wife. Just as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. And then, for emphasis and clarity, Paul restates it in verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay. That's last week. We want to deal with the text. We saw the text. That's up. Is it forever and never and ever the internet? But it's there. It's obvious now that in the time in which we live to be biblically faithful on the topic of roles in marriage will put us outside the mainstream of our culture that we live in. To affirm the different natures of the sexes, male and female, and then you push it, to affirm the leadership role of the man and the submissive role of the wife in the covenant of marriage, it has and it will continue to generate anger. Not just in the culture, but within the visible church. But I hope... That that we, as Christians, that our goal is not to bend the Scriptures to fit the doctrines of our society. But instead, that we would want to come under the authority of the Scriptures to be conformed. To the image of Christ. And to not be conformed. To. Our. Present. Evil. Age. And so this morning. As I promised last week. My goal is to now. 
look at the biblical theology on the issue of male, female and roles within marriage. By God's revelation. Not his general revelation, which I would argue it's everywhere in human history, has known clearly a difference in humanity. And it's not white and black or brown or pink or language. It is male and female. And you have to go to university to deny it and make stupid statements about it. But that's just in general revelation. But... I'm talking about special, revealed revelation from God in Scripture, where He unfolds clearly that men and women, manhood and womanhood, with their distinct roles, they were created by God. And it starts at the very beginning of the Scripture. So I want you to turn there. To Genesis, the first book, the book of beginnings. And the first thing that we see in the Bible about a statement concerning human beings is that human beings were created in the image of God. Either as a male human being or as a female human being. Verse 27, chapter 1, we read. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Men are not women. And it's so strange I've got to say this. But you do nowadays. Women are not men. It's science. It's biological. It's evident. Both of them are created in the image of God. And so from the get-go of the Scripture, it is absolutely clear that the male is not superior to, nor the female inferior to the other sex, or vice versa. Both are of equal worth and value as reflections of the Creator, made in the image of God, to reflect His purposes. In creation. But it's also clear in Scripture that these two sexes are created to fulfill different roles in marriage. The distinction in the sexes and the roles in marriage are clearly before sin enters. They're before the fall. Before sin came into the world, God established the leadership role of the husband as the head in the covenant of marriage. And so, just going to move through Genesis a little bit and see if you could see this. Genesis is a narrative, but... It's not merely story of one thing after the other. It is narrative. It is stories that are meant to teach. And so we read them and we say, what is God up to? What is He teaching us? And so as we read Genesis, the idea of male headship in marriage is seen first in the order, in the way God wanted to communicate to us of creation. He could have just left it there. He created a male and female. Then it goes on to the, the creation account. And we read this starting in chapter 2. Start with verse 7. Then the Lord God 
formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. You jump down to verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib the Lord God had taken from the man, he made or fashioned into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman Isha because she was taken out of man Ish. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. So, this order of creation is making a point. It's setting a precedent. And this becomes really clear in the New Testament, because when the Apostle Paul is discussing the distinct roles of men and women, he appeals to the order of creation and says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. For Adam was formed first, then Not only the order of creation, but then you add, you add to that that the distinct roles of men and women. You, the woman sinned first becomes clear. But when you come to the Gospel of Christ and you read 1 Corinthians 15, for instance. It's always put upon the man, Adam, the one who in authority was, had responsibility for the human race. And it's put upon him for the fall. That it was in Adam, as Paul writes, for as by a man came death by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And then of course in Romans 5, pretty much throughout most of that chapter, the first Adam, the second Adam, Paul's making the same argument. Man represented the human race in a way that the woman didn't because of his particular leadership role that he was given over humanity. And that Eve was not. Then in the Genesis account, we just read it. Adam named her. She shall be called woman. I just, it's just a sign again of Adam, you got authority, you got authority over this, that, and the other. And now here's the woman, and his authority shows forth as he says, She will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then the leadership role of the husband is seen for the purpose, in the purpose, of creating Eve. In Genesis 2, verse 18, 
We just read. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. Therefore, I will make a woman. I will make a helper fit for him. And you know the story. First, okay, the animals. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Is it work? And he authority over them. He names the animals. But no, that's not what God's talking about. It doesn't work. It's not it. And neither would have another male human being fulfilled that purpose. It wouldn't have been it. Go to a hardware store. I got a bolt. <laughs> And I don't mean this just physically, I do, but immaterially in the difference of men and women. In our, in our, in our male human nature and in our female human nature. What is going to correspond to the bolt? Not another bolt. Not a saw. But a nut. It corresponds. It fits. That's what this means. I will make him a helper fit for him or corresponding to him. Not a lesser being, but equal to him. And it complements him. They fit. The headship role of the man It's demonstrated also in Genesis chapter 3. Where now Satan comes. Comes in the serpent. And who does he go to? Not the authority. Around the man. And he goes to his wife. And she listened. Talked with the deceptive theology. What, is it morally right? Shall I eat or not? Maybe. Mm, did God really say that? Is He really out for my good? And she started to do the reasoning. I'll take care of how our family runs here on this issue. And of course we know she sinned. And don't, don't miss it. Oh, so did Adam by just standing by. But then when God comes in judgment, though she's the one, had the conversation with Satan, she's the one that ate of the fruit first and then handed it to her husband. It was right there. God goes to the man. Because he had a burden, a responsibility of authority for So he goes to him first. In chapter 3, verse 9, we read, But the Lord God said to the man, Where are you? Satan knows what he's doing. He knew exactly what he was doing by putting into the thoughts of the woman and of us men does God really love you? Does He really care? He knows you're going to be just like He doesn't want that. Thing. That would be good. He, he knows how to twist things. He knows exactly what He's doing. And He knew exactly what He was doing by bypassing the man and the authority. I got them all screwed up now. I got her thinking she's the moral authority here in the household to, to make a decision. And I got Adam just to stand by passively doing nothing about it. I just think he had to be absolutely rejoicing in what he has presented into the human race through the fall and the corruption of the roles of men. And women. And so God says to the man there, now in verse 17 of chapter 3, Adam, remember, this is judgment. Okay. This is God pronouncing judgment for his sin. 
Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Therefore, cursed is the ground because of you. Farming is going to be hard. And so what we see now is the fall. Sin has come into the universe through the man, the human race. And it's corrupted everything. Sin did not create the distinctions between men and women. It did not create the marriage roles. They were already set up. God created those. But sin has messed them up. And ever since, there has been conflict in marriage. And with the roles and tension and sin. Sin in the heart of husbands and sin in the heart of wives makes the living out of these roles that God set up really difficult. Sins come. And we only use a very tiny part of our brains. We know this scientifically. We are so in the dark. That's why husbands and wives married for 34 years are still so much in the dark trying to figure each other out. Not just as individuals with that name, but she's a woman and I'm still trying to figure this out. And he's a man. I'm still trying to convince myself he's not just a hairy woman. Maybe when he does that, he's not really as wicked and evil as I think. He might have a good reason for that. But we're so different. It takes a lot to learn. Welcome to the fall. And then we're going to get there in a minute. Welcome to slow, methodical sanctification. So, then God goes to the woman. In judgment. And he he says to Eve, now after the fall, in chapter 3, verse 16. And I want you to listen carefully. Let's pretend this is inductive Bible study, okay, on Saturday morning. Here we go. You get to look at it. You tell me what it means. And remember, this is judgment. Your desire shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. See, so what, what, we, what we do now, this is what inductive Bible study is, so those who have never been, this is what it is. We, we, I'm going to tell you, it might take a half an hour or an hour and a half. Go ahead. What's your hypothesis of what he probably means here? How do you understand that? How is that judgment? Oh, I know. Your desire is for her husband. Oh, that means she will be sexually attracted to. That's great. Wouldn't men love that? But how is that judgment? Oh, no, her desire just be. She just so desired to be with her husband and love her. That's not judgment. Okay, so when you read these, how is your desire will be for your husband? Judgment. Now we get a clue as you jump down a few sentences to chapter 4, verse 7, where Cain murders his brother and God speaks to Cain. Okay? And in the speaking to Cain, the exact same Hebrew word that is translated here, desire, is used. And here it is. Sin is crouching at the door, Cain. And its, meaning sin's, desire is for you. But you must rule over it. Huh? A desire of sin there is not like, sin just loves you. 
No. Sin is sin. It wants to dominate you. It wants to hurt you and control you. Isn't it? I mean, same way. So, Cain, sin desires for you. Here's your judgment, Eve. Your your desire for your husband. Or really, therefore, against your husband. So much so that, uh, see, I read to you the first edition of the ESV. I think it was 2001. When the second edition came out, I think it's 2011, they retranslated it. And this is how they translate it. Eve, your desire shall be contrary. To your husband. But he shall rule over you. That also is not. He's got authority. That is also judgment. And that's man's sin. In the way they would dominate. So in other words. In both contexts with Cain. And with Eve. The word desire means something like. To desire to conquer. Desire to master you, to rule over you, like sin, Cain's going to master you, can't let it happen. Eve, you will desire to master. Cain's sin is there to rule you and to dominate you, but you must rule over it. To the woman, he said, your desire will be to rule over him, to dominate him. He shall rule over you. This is a description of judgment here. Of the way things are going to be while sin reigns. Aggressively abusive Dominating, sinful, unloving men. And cunningly, devious, sinful women. So God created humanity before the fall. It's male and female. And with the roles, man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. And we're going to get there because Paul will quote that text in Ephesians. But what happened? The fall. Sin nature has entered humanity. Male and female. And thus, the roles designed by God in marriage get all distorted and messy and screwed up. And all any of us in this room have to do is look into the mirror of our own maleness or our own femaleness. And see how sin has corrupted that which was good. And if you're married, your own distinct roles as husband or as wife. So, for example, men are different. Men are by nature, okay? You know what generalizations are? It means you learn things, you got wisdom in life. Don't give me an example of a woman who's just like this, it doesn't help. Okay? Uh, Let me tell you something. Air, airplane traveling is really safe. No, it's not. I can show you a picture of an airplane crash. Okay. Can you learn anything in life? We're talking numbers. We're talking statistics. Men are aggressive by nature. Boys are aggressive. Physically aggressive. And sexually aggressive. Okay. There's something about aggression that could be a positive thing of protection, of putting down sinful bullies, 
But you need to twist that and bring it into a marriage and let sin rule and dominate and, and the man be sinfully frustrated and act out in his sin. You end up with aggressive, abusive, selfish, unloving, and domineering men. Husbands. Or just blame the wife, like Adam. It was the, no, no woman. You gave to me. Her fault. It's her fault. It's not mine. And let the history of humanity unfold. Let domestic abuse roll. On the other hand, the woman in her sin may fight against her husband's leadership and try to assert his authority. We just read it. That is judgment. It's the curse of Genesis 3.16. Instead of being a complement that fits perfectly as female to male, as wife to husband, she's contrary to it. And since that's true, since every woman feels it, as every man feels their sin and must fight it, it is not right for this church nor any church that is going to follow Christ in the Scripture to advocate such. No, 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 no. There are no gender roles. Because there's lots of women... Trust me, there's lots of women who don't. They love true submission. But there's lots of women who say, I don't want that. Yeah, but we're not going to advocate the curse. We're not going to advocate that any more than we would advocate the curse of childbirth with a lot of pain. It's there in the text. Let's not do anything ever to lessen the pain because it's natural. Or we just bought a new house, and I tell you, weeds come up out of that grass. I got to figure out what to do with them. And my wife in her garden bed, who hasn't done anything about them yet. Well, why do anything? Why get poisoned? Why pull them? They're natural. I just feel like dominating my husband. It's natural. Yes. So we're not going to advocate. The curse. So I, I grant there are many women who may not like what they hear for many different reasons, particularly university systems. But it's not something we should advocate and say, well, go with your feelings then. <coughs> Sin can produce the opposite of aggression in men, and it does a lot. Trust me, when many men hear you have responsibility for authority and leadership, protection and provision, they don't like it. Because it's sin. It's a burden. I'd just rather watch TV all the time. You make all the decisions. And it's called passivity. I do nothing. They can abdicate their role of providing for the family. And it's physical, and it's spiritual, and it's moral needs. They can refuse to discipline the children. Refuse, as we're going to come there, what your leadership is. Nurturing. Caring for. Causing and being like the gardener for her wife, his I mean his wife to 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 grow with the water of the word and to love Christ more. No, he abandons it. Not my responsibility in any way. Sin. Women can be passive. That's great. 
I have no thoughts whatsoever morally on this issue, that issue. Child rearing, how we run the family. She, she contributes nothing. She's just, I don't know what she does. That's not true femininity. We, we did see at the end of, of, of last week, Peter laying out femininity for, for women. Oh, just gentle. Oh yeah, it's quiet disposition and spirit. There's something about that that's precious, but it's not weak. It is not a doormat that just gets run over. That's not what true submission is. When her husband is clearly, blatantly Sinning, she doesn't not say anything. She addresses him. But, there's a way to do it. Submissively. That's not it. There's a way with a gentle and a quiet spirit. I, I hate that I even have to say this. My dear husband, if her husband hits her emotionally and verbally abuses her, she's not to just say nothing. And at times she will go outside of that marriage to the church or even to the police if need be. There are men. And there are women. It's the way God made it. And He created marriage. It's between a man and a woman. And the role of the man is leadership or the headship in that union. And the role of the woman is submission. And yes, we're all sinners and the fall has happened And it's all been messed up. But Jesus came to save human beings. He came to save male human beings. And He came to save female human beings. He came to save the fishermen. Peter. And He came to save the prostitute, Mary Magdalene. He came to put away both of their sin by absorbing their divine eternal judgment upon Himself on the cross so that that wrath of God would be removed from Mary and from Peter. And how does He know? We know because He sent the Holy Spirit to go get them. In the hearing of the Gospel of Christ's work on the cross. And they were both born again. Put in to Christ. And then He began the process of restoration. And that's what the entire book of Ephesians is about. Three chapters of God's infinite, eternal, glorious purposes and wisdom in Christ of saving And then the last three chapters, therefore, be sanctified. Walk this way. He came so that in our brokenness, in our sin, as women and as men, we would do an about face. And we would get on to the road of dying to our sin and living to righteousness. Dying to sinful aggression in rebellion as a woman. Or sinful aggression and domineering as the stronger physical sex as a man. Putting aside passivity. Putting aside true femininity. I'm not going to walk in it. Putting aside true masculinity. Don't believe in that stuff anymore. Just be passive. 
He came so that we would be being worked upon as believers as He addresses believers in the roles. And so when He writes to the Colossian church, He just very briefly says this to them. Wives, submit to your husbands. He adds this. As is fitting in the Lord. Are you in Jesus? It's fitting. It's right. He knows the struggle of your sin. And so he says then, Husbands, love your wives. And he knows the struggle of everyone who is in positions of authority. Women who raise children, who homeschool, you're in a position of authority. I know one of your main struggles. Being rough and harsh with those who are to be submitting to you. And it's hard. Well, he knows this about husbands and our sin. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Jesus came to start unfolding the undoing of the curse, which in one way reflects itself in the roles within the marriage covenant. So now, I know I touched on this last week, but I want to ask the big, huge, massive, so what? Come on. Trust me, I feel I live in America in 2017. I have a TV. I have the internet. I know what everything I have said sounds like to the vast majority of our culture, because that includes a lot of the church. So here's the question. Is this really important? I mean, what's really going on here? And God purposely doing creation this way. So you know, I'm going to go really quickly because I'm pretty sure members of this church are convinced of this. God created for His glory. It's clear, it's throughout the Bible. He does all things ultimately for the extension of His glory, even the slaughter of His own Son. As he prayed, Father, glorify your Son now. Dying tomorrow. He did. So don't miss it. God created us as males and as females. And He created marriage and the marriage roles of male and female for His glory. Okay, I want. Okay, okay, okay. I don't want to fight against that. It's a good statement, but what does it mean? How is that to his glory? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians 5. Paul lets us know that behind what we have read this morning in Genesis, there was a mystery. Now, the word mystery, the Greek mysterion, which Paul has already used in this letter about Christ and about uniting Jews and Gentiles through Christ, etc. He says, it was there in the Old Testament, but it was blurry. You can't really see it. But he says, the mystery now. It means something that was, that was, that was hidden and is now revealed. Okay. 
And Paul says in Ephesians 5 concerning male and female coming together in marriage with the headship of the man and the submission of the woman, there was a mystery about that. That mystery was, it pointed to and it was to represent Jesus Christ as the authority and the church, the submissive bride. So, you have your Bibles. Open Ephesians 5. I'm going to read slowly through the whole text. Paul, starting with verse 22, says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why? Well, because the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that Jesus might present the church To Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves His wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and he cherishes it, just as Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. Because we are members of His body. So now, (laughs) Paul then quotes the command given by God in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. So here it is. Then he just... Therefore... A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast firmly to his wife. And the two, the wife and the husband, the man and the woman, shall become one flesh, like he just talked about, a head. And the body, a head, leadership, submission, the nurturer, caretaker, the protector. So he quotes it. And he's done with the quote. And then he says, This mystery of Genesis 2.24. Man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, which was hidden, which is now revealed, is profound. Okay, well, what do you see, Paul? He says this. I am saying that Genesis 2.24 only secondarily referred to Adam and Eve and then everyone after them when he says they shall leave their fathers, they have fathers and mothers, okay? He says... Only secondary. He said, I am saying at its core, it refers to Christ. 
and His wife, the church. And so the Apostle Paul, as a personally sent one from Jesus Christ, an apostle, he says, by the Holy Spirit, that from the very beginning, God designed marriage in order to show us how Jesus is to relate to the church, His bride. That's why he calls Genesis 2.24 a mystery. Because God didn't fully reveal all of that. Christ was such a mystery and how that's going to work out. There were hints all through the Old Testament about Christ and hints about why God created men and women and the authority role and the submissive role and all of that. But since Christ has come... Like we see in the beginning chapters of Ephesians, Jew and Gentile, and he quotes Scripture, it's there, it's everywhere. Jesus has come, the mystery is unveiled, and now concerning this, because Christ has come into the world and suffered and died and risen, and He is preparing for Himself a bride. He says the mystery is now clear. It is, that is, if you're married, To be a portrait. It is to be a story, a parable, a picture of Christ and the church. The creation of human beings as male or as female. That provides the necessary Building blocks for the essence of what marriage. Not the way that, this is why any Christian, if they want to think clearly and speak clearly, will never say same-sex marriage. They will say so-called same-sex marriage. Because marriage exists because God is. And God has defined it. And the male and the female are the necessary building blocks to what God has designed marriage to be. You cannot have the covenant of marriage without a male and a female. And the meaning of marriage, of human marriage, cannot be known in its essence, in its fullness, until we understand that it is a picture, it is a parable of Christ's relationship to the church. And that is why Paul writes in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. Just as Christ is the head of the church. This means that the relationship between Christ and the church and the roles of male and female in marriage is not merely cultural or relative. And the roles are not reversible. We live, those of us who have been fortunate to be born in the 50s or the 60s have lived through some radical, quick historical changes. They don't usually go this fast. And so, I mean, it's nothing. I mean, gender roles, it's the last thing from somebody. Of course not. But we have so quickly gone into, in our culture, so-called redefinition of marriage between two men or between two women. And we think, oh yeah, big. Not really that big at all now. Now we live (laughs) sex, science. I mean, the radical secularism of our society is science denying. What do you feel 
like you are. Do you feel like a, a girl? Then, okay, then you're a girl. Wait a minute. You take your clothes off. Are you a girl? Doesn't matter now. Okay. What, what is going on here? What's going on is Romans 1. Well, Paul made it clear. Why is it if, if God created things a particular way, why is it that it perfectly works physically with a male and a female, and that's how they reproduce, and now you have homosexuality? Because of sin. And because of God's judgment on sin, He gave them over. What we see happening in the West which means Christianity had formed much of the West for almost the last 1,500 years. And what we've seen in America is sin. And, but it's not just that. It is God's judgment that we are hearing such absurdities becoming normal. Don't be one of them. Paul is clear. There is a leadership, headship role that Jesus has for the church. And those roles of His headship and our wonderfully glorious happy submission are not ever to be reversed. And the picture that God created from the very beginning in order to show the headship of Christ over the church was the headship role of the man in the complementary, submissive role of the woman. There really is a lot at stake on this issue. You know, this is, I wouldn't plan this, but let me just, hopefully I'll do it in 20 seconds. But one of them, I've, I've been a Christian 37 years now, almost. I've watched it enough. When things in the Scripture just, when you just read them without any agenda, and they seem so clear. And we can, go, we can talk about the doctrine of God and doctrine of Christ and other things. And then you see, why are people coming against it? Why do people, you know, I got a PhD by my name. And, okay. Once, now we can't really accept that now. You will slowly start watching. You'll think, that's not a real serious doctrine. And it may not be as serious as others and people's eternal life at stake. It's true. And, this one's, and it's not. But what you will see is how easily the domino effect will happen. Scripture. Doctrine in the Scripture. After Scripture going down. Okay, that's not what I'm But why is this so serious? Listen to how Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 11.3. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Okay. Just as God the Father and God the Eternal Son are co-eternal, they are co-equal in essence, in value, in deity, and in attributes. In the economic roles of the Trinity, they have different roles. Christ is in the role of submission. The Father in the role of the One 
he submits to. So also a husband and a wife are absolutely equal in the image of God, in their personhood, in their value, in how, and every husband better know this, how precious she is. If she belongs to Christ, to Christ. So be careful. But they are different in their role. Just as Christ is subject to the authority of the Father, so wives are to be subject to the authority of their husbands in the marriage. It's God's design. Those fellow Christians, Jesus lovers, who say that submission and authority in marriage is merely an artificial result of the fall of mankind and sin. That's why we have this old systems of the history of the world of patriarchalism. And that's all it is. And now, of course, we're smarter than this. We've got to get rid of all of that. And they're dead right. There was so much horrific abuse. And there still is today. Okay. But that's not the, when they say that's all that it is, they have no biblical grounds my opinion stand on and so close all that God created was very good and then sin messed it up and now here we are it's justified Sin put away. Guilt put away. Yet, we are still sinful. So what is our hope? What key can we use to lead our wives rightly, lovingly? What what hope, what key can wives use to obey the command To be submissive to their own husbands. I'm going to go where I went at the end of last week, back to 1 Peter. Because Peter tells us, here's the key, husbands, here's the key, wives. It is hope in God. See, if someone says, I don't care what the root of your submission is, just, just submit. That's not the text. That's not Christianity. That's not what Jesus calls wives to. He calls them to dependence on Him. He calls them to constantly look to the promises of the Gospel. In place first and foremost, long before your husbands, your hope in God. Remember last week, Peter talking to women, many of whom have unbelieving husbands, disobedient to the Scriptures. And he says and encourages them. I will put this word in here. He encourages them to let your womanliness show forth. Let it be, he says, quote in verse 4, chapter 3, the hidden person of the heart with that imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is precious. Okay. Where does that come from, Peter? It comes from the very next verse. Because this is how 
the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. This is what Peter says. Holy women, they hope in God. And that yields, in this text, a gentle and a quiet disposition that is very precious to God. And that beautiful disposition, femininity, expresses itself in submission. Christ is working this in the daughters of God. And it's precious. And it's blood-bought. And we're going to turn to the blood. We're going to turn to the bread and to the cup, to the body, the blood of Christ in Holy Communion now. Let's keep this text in mind as we cry out as men and as women, as married and as single. Sanctify me. Grow me, O Jesus. For my trust and my hope is in You. For You have purchased it. Let us pray. Oh, Father, You are good. And I pray that as You have been working by Your Holy Spirit, through Your Word, You will continue to do that this morning in our midst and we would continue to work these things out in our singleness and in our marriages. Desiring above all things Your glory. Desiring to allow You to work on us and to convict us and to sanctify us as painful as that is. And as joyful as it is as we come out the other side the next day having You humble our hearts to the glory of Your precious and holy name. Amen.